Rise up. Welcome to Rise Up Radar, where we keep the Falcons on your radar. Thank you for joining me, Stan Parker, for another episode. Let's have a ball and show. All right, so figure since uh, we've already talked about the game, let's introduce uh, another segment of this show. And let's do, since Dan Quinn's gone, let's do a five up and five down for Dan Quinn. Five positive things that he did while he was in the city of Atlanta and five negative things. In fact, since uh, Stan says I'm a negative Nancy, I'm going to start with all the negative things first. And then – I'll do all the positive things last, so I'm ending on a positive note. That's what I'm talking all about. Right. Leave a good taste in your mouth. Right. <clears throat> all right, so number five on the five down list, um, this is the first – really the first thing for me that Dan Quinn did that was just bad during his tenure in Atlanta. His decision to kick a field goal with less than four minutes to go against the San Francisco 49ers on the road in 2015. They needed a touchdown. They needed a touchdown. And he went for a field goal. San Francisco decided to kick it back to San Francisco. They didn't even kick an onside kick. And San Francisco just runs out the clock. It's hilariously bad. It's like, what did yeah. you, th- you think was going to happen? Like, that's like Madden. Like, I don't know if you – even Madden, if you were playing Madden, it would have suggested an onside kick for you. But like, hey, do you want an onside kick? It's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I think I do. But, no, you just, like, kick the ball. Like, it's one thing to not to take a field goal. You're like, oh, okay, he took a field goal. Uh, we're going to, you know – we're going to do onside kick and was hoping a prayer. Nah, he just kicked it straight. I was like, wait, what? What happened? So, yeah, that was that was pretty astounding there. I said, do you want to do a dueling, a one at a time? You than me, you than me, or do you just want to do your whole list? Uh, you can. We can do. We can do. Okay, you so what yours is? Yeah, so I'm. Uh, so my number one. It's not number one, but the first one I'll go over is. Um, he is a defensive defensive minded head coach. Made his money with the Legion of Boom, uh, uh, coaching a bunch of personalities up with uh, Richard Sherman and the, the gang up there. And the, he was brought here to make the defense better, and the defense is still bad. It is leaving the cupboard bare for the next person because the defense is that bad. Yeah, and I would argue that it's probably worse off now than the way he found it in 2014 when he first came to Atlanta. Yeah. So that's that's my number one my number my first point. So, all right. So this next point that I have, um, this is a big one because it covers a vast number of games, but just the vast amount of blown leads against opposing teams that that Dan Quinn had, and it's not all his fault. Some of it was just bad play calling by his offensive coordinators, but. It's all on you when you're the leader of the clubhouse, when you're the head coach. And this covers a Super Bowl, and this covers two games this season. So, he, you know, let's talk about the Super Bowl first. You know, we go in there, man, we're feeling good at the half. You know, we're up 28 to 3. And then – but still in the back of my mind, I'm like, we're playing the New England Patriots. And if anybody can blow this lead, it's the Atlanta Falcons. Yep. And sure enough, yeah, New England gets the ball back. They go down the field. They score, and then they score again. And then the Falcons just keep going three and out, three and out, three and out. And New England, at the end of the night, would go to overtime. I was like, please let us win this coin toss. Please let us win this coin toss. New England wins the coin toss. And it was complete. The The New England Patriots won the game, came back from a 28-3 to deficit. 
broke Atlanta Falcons fans' hearts. Yeah, and so that was number that's the you know the number one in my head in my book. So the number the new number two point that I'll have, uh, I'll kind of piggyback on you is the devastating, the tragic, the travesty that was Super Bowl loss. Um, all the reasons you covered, bad play calling, the you've never played conservative the entire year. You've had 18 games in a row of playing aggressive and going scoring your outscoring your opponent by 14 points and scoring 35 points a game. And in the the biggest game of your entire career, you decided, you know what? Let's play not to lose. Let's play completely different than what we've been doing all year and let's change it up when you were, you know, on, on, on trajectory to, you know, win a Super Bowl. So I think the, the, the tragic collapse early in his career, uh, which never got over. And subsequently after that, you never learn how to finish like two games out of what five this year of just, I mean, you could even put in, you know, obviously the Seattle game as well. You've, that's over half the games this year of not being able to finish. Um, I just could never get over the hump of being disciplined enough to, to uh, have a good game plan going forward to not finish. So uh, that would be the second, um, my second point to bring up as well, Super Bowl loss and just not being able to finish. Right. I have that on my list too, but I wanted to cover just because he blew more than one game. Right. Yeah. It was like the, that was basically like the prelude to what would come later on. And then we blew two big leads this year, two yeah. mammoth leads. We became the first team in NFL history to 50. blow consecutive games of 15 points or more. Yeah. Um, uh, I, you know, it's just unbelievable that happened. It happened against the Dallas Cowboys, having against the Bears against a team that wasn't even that good offensively. They made a quarterback change, and, and yeah. then we just – the Falcons couldn't adjust. Right. Um, yeah, and so uh, – I go forward. Like, I think you've covered this as well. My number three was um, time management and in coaching, in-game coaching decisions. I know you covered that, that very strange uh, San Francisco game. Um, There's been several, and I can't think of any like specifically, but like going in halftime with timeouts in your pocket or just strange, like strange challenges that it's like, why are we challenging this again? Oh, it can't hurt anything. Well, wouldn't you like to have that challenge back for that timeout? Like, uh, yeah, like just, and then the two minute, the in, in game coaching, the two minute offense and the two minute defense pitiful. I mean, worse than the league across the board. So that's coaching itself and getting the team, you know, having a plan in game and, um, I think that was bad. And then halftime adjustments, it kind of all goes into in-game coaching, which is crazy to talk about as a coach, but like, that's the main point of your job. You know, like that main chunk of your job is, is in-game coaching and just second half adjustments just have been, have been lacking. And it all just kind of a shout out too that the, one of the best coaches surprisingly that I've ever really seen here in town of the second half adjustments has been Kirby Smart, man. And uh, I know we kind of shifted gears a little bit, but that's just a shout-out in town that uh, in, in Athens with the UGA that his second-half adjustments have been unreal. And um, Dan Quinn could never just bottle that up and take that with him. He could never make the, the correct – push the right buttons at halftime. Right. And Kirby Smart's the master of doing that, especially against Tennessee the other night. Tennessee literally got nothing in the second literally, half. Literally nothing. 
So, all right. So my number three is Dan Quinn brought in Dirk Cutter as offensive coordinator. I think that was definitely was that um, a, was that a Dan Quinn thing? Or was that a a, 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 a Thomas Dimitrov thing? My understanding is, is that Dan Quinn was the one who made the decision for all his coaches. Okay. You know, Thomas Dimitrov did a lot of the drafting with Dan Quinn's input, but the coaching staff was entirely up to Dan Quinn. And we're going to Dirk Cutter. Okay, for number one thing, it wasn't anything revolutionary because we had already seen Dirk Cutter in Atlanta. One year it went well. The next year it didn't. But even the year it went well, it was still strange. I mean, that was um, – and Dirk Cutter was also part of a blown lead situation too because remember the Atlanta Falcons, they had a uh, – a huge lead on the San Francisco 49ers in that NFC championship game back in 2012. And they yes. blew that lead. Yes. Oh, I totally forgot. I remember what I was doing that game. Oh my gosh. Yes. That was a heartbreaker too. I was so, dude, I was very upset. Uh, yeah. Very, very upset about that game. So, I mean, he comes in, you know, you just don't have a lot of running game at all. Like you, you just, there, there's hardly any running going on. We were running the ball a lot when we had um, Sarkeesian here and when we had Kyle Shanahan. And then all of a sudden the run just basically disappears. Yeah, like tripled he, up. And, it, and it disappeared in the earlier regime when he was with Mike Smith as the office of coordinator. So I, that hire never really made sense to me. I was hoping for better things the second time around, but he stunk it up. Yeah. And I know the stats say otherwise, but it's just the way – like you have to go beyond stats sometimes because right. with Dirk Cutter – our offense was tops in the league those first couple of weeks. You know, we passing offense was great. But eventually that running game and not being able to run the ball is going to catch up with you. And it has suddenly. And so that you talk about just like statistically, it, it, it made sense. But like with the optics of like watching football, it didn't make it like right. it doesn't feel good. The same thing with Sarkeesian. Right. The statistical proof of Sarkeesian doing good in Atlanta was there. You can make an argument that Sarkeesian was building and going in the right direction and had, you know, had a good second year and he got chopped. And so, uh, but optically of what we have seen before, comparatively speaking, we had this nice Ferrari sitting in the garage and you're driving it like a pinto you know it, it didn't pass the eye test to the fans and i think that's what the pressure got to him too but like you said um just bringing in dirt cutter was not very smart um somehow i ended up taking control of this one but um we'll go with number four again uh this is kind of just um an aggravating one for me but the nfl is turning into the analytics like baseball is and the shift it's just kind of a shift of mentality that's happening. NBA did it with the three pointers. MLB is doing with the shift fourth down conversions or fourth, fourth down, like going forward on fourth down overall, Dan Quinn has never shot away with the, from, from a good fourth down conversion. And overall running into the numbers, he was overall in his six years, he was 50 and 97 on fourth down conversions, which is 51%. Um, some of those obviously are weighted a little differently. I mean, you're driving a 20-play drive, no points, you turn it over. Everything is weighted a little differently, but he was half and half on fourth down conversions, which I would like to have seen that better. And I would like to have seen that number go down. I, I like kicking the field goal, and that's just me. But, um, yeah. I, that the fourth down conversions hard-headedly stubbornly even though it's like you're in that gray zone of 
maybe we should pooch punt, maybe we should try long field goal. Uh, that really was a, was a negative for me with for Dan Quinn. No, I hear you there. Um, yeah, coaches are inherently some of the most stubborn people around. It's gotten many a coach fired. It got Mark Rick fired at Georgia. Yep. It, it definitely has gotten Dan Quinn fired with the Atlanta Falcons. Oh, show. All right, so my number two, this was a big one because this is just one play, but I think you probably know what I'm about to say. <laughs> the onside kick versus the Dallas Cowboys. I just can't get over that one. I, like I said um, – I've been sorry to cut you off, but I would have fired him with time on the clock. I'm just saying. Right, right. I, I can't get over this one. Okay, so just going back to it, this was at the end of the Dallas Cowboys game uh, a couple weeks ago. Dallas leans in, kicks an onside kick. The Falcons could have touched it any time. Three or four players were around the ball. But uh, nobody jumped on it. They had an opportunity any time. They could have jumped on it at any time, and they did not. And Dallas recovered, won the game. And then afterwards, you heard two different stories, as you might remember from the press conferences. Dan Quinn was like, uh, no, the guys were, were trying really hard. That We've taught them everything they need to know. That They need to jump on the ball. He didn't explain why they didn't, but he said they should have. And then you had the tale of Arthur Blank, and that's when you really started to see that things were wrong because – Arthur Blank pretty much said it was obvious to me they did not know what to do. Yeah, that's bad. That is really bad. You know, and two, kind of the same situation of uh, Bill O'Brien with J.J. Watt, him and him and J.J. Watt getting into a shouting match in uh, at practice, and the, the owner steps in and is like, okay, you know. So that's that's bad when the owner like steps in and um, has dueling uh, stories of what happened there. Okay, so the my number five. Uh, which would be uh, somehow I jumped out in front of you again. I know if I, uh, but now my number five is drafting, but more importantly, Vic Beasley. The 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 amount of chances Vic Beasley was given, um, you know, and Jalen Collins, and we could talk all day long. I got a list as long as my leg of misses, Rasheed Hageman, all that stuff. But the Vic Beasley one is baffling to me because. You picked him. He was your first pick, Dan Quinn guy. He was a Dan Quinn guy, and um, he didn't turn. He didn't. I mean, he statistically was like inept at his job. Like he mm -hmm. hired him to do this job, he couldn't do it. So you moved him around a little bit. But the one you hired him for, he, he can't do. But so you moved him around a little bit, got him out of his position. He's still failing at everything you put him at, and they got down to the end of his four-year tenure, and they said, you know what? I think he's going to turn around in the fifth year and they give him pick up his fifth year option of like blowing $12.4 million or whatever it was. And so, and then the Titans are stuck with him now. So, but like um, that was just such a stubborn, well, he's my guy. He'll turn around. I'll stick my neck out for him. Like just a stubborn, like just say you're wrong. Just admit it. I just wanted to hear you say like, you know what? That one didn't work out. So. Right. Absolutely didn't. And the only year that Vic Beasley had any success is when he had Dwight Freeney in there. And teams adjusted to Vic Beasley's moves, and he just never could develop another move to be able to get to the quarterback. For just sure. never could. Okay. All right, so my number one, it kind of is an extension of my number four, the amount of blown leads losing the Super Bowl. That yep. was by far – the worst thing that happened in his tenure. And, and the wheels just started falling off. I mean, they did make the playoffs the next year. But slowly but surely, 
yep. the wheels started falling off. You know, they they made the playoffs, won that game with the uh, with the uh, I won't say the St. Louis Rams, but the Los Angeles Rams, and then. And then the next game, they played Philadelphia, almost won that game, almost upset them. Philadelphia was going to uh, – was destined to win the Super Bowl that year. And then after that, you've had pretty much three consecutive seasons where the Falcons were just a disappointment. Bad defense, starting off slow, finishing high, and then this year just – it's just, it's just done, yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's uh, your five your five negative there, and let's run through these positives because there are some positives. We're going to end on a positive note here. Um, you got your five positives for uh, Dan Quinn. What good did he bring to the Atlanta Falcons, Todd? Go for it. Okay, I'm going to have to admit that I'm kind of reaching on reasons four through five. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> but on the reason number for okay, so reason number five, Dan Quinn was respected by his players. His players did like to play for him. Um, that was a positive. It did lead to some very good things in 2016. A lot of his players hated to see him go this year. So I will go ahead and, and say that was a that was a good thing. You do want your players to like their coach. If they don't like their coach, they probably still aren't going to give their all for them. And I felt like the effort was there at times, but sometimes the talent deficit was just too much to overcome. Okay, so by number five thing that uh, the that uh, Dan Quinn did for Atlanta Falcons was the Falcons filter was lifted with Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn was able to draft players that had personality and had character, and because of his reputation for uh, dealing with personalities and character in Seattle, the Legion of Boom, that he they were able to draft guys. I want to say character guys because I don't like when people say that, but guys that have uh, personalities and just being able to let them be a personality, you know, the Tat McKinley's and, and whatever else. But, like, I think the Falcons filter was lifted with him. So I think that's, I don't, I'm reaching two for my five, but that's one that I – it's kind of a heady call, but that would be a number number, number five for me. Right. Okay, so my number four is also reaching. Dan Quinn finished 43 and 42 as Atlanta Falcons head coach. He's one of the four head coaches that ever finished uh, with an over 500 career with the Atlanta Falcons. Like I said, there's only four out of 18 head coaches that the Atlanta Falcons have ever had. Now, some of them were interims, but only four have ever had a winning record. Dan Quinn was one. Mike Smith was 51 and 21, the best coach in the Atlanta Falcons history in my mind. Jim Moore was 26 and 22, and then Lehman Bennett was 46 and 41. Nobody right. else even sniffed a winning record. Okay. Well, then I didn't know any of that. That's awesome. Uh, so my number two reason, or I guess number four reason, is um, he raised the expectations of the fa- franchise. I know Mike Smith had already had set high expectations, but then we never could get to the game. Um, but uh, he obviously had a winning record, by far the most successful uh, coach in Falcons history. But um, the Fal- uh, with Dan Quinn, they looked around and said, why not us? And he raised expectations in Atlanta. And subsequently, ironically, it led to his demise because they expected so much from him. But um, just overall, as a Falcons franchise, that they it, uh, raised the expectations of this franchise. Right. All right. So my number three reason is that after that Super Bowl season, the Dan Quinn did follow that up with a good season and the Falcons made the playoffs again 
and won a playoff game against the Los Angeles Rams. It was early January. Falcons beat the Rams 26 to 13. And it, it still looked like at that time that the Falcons were still building up on that success from the year before where they had gone to the Super Bowl, still a consistent playoff team. Maybe they'll continue to be able to build on that. And they looked really good against the Philadelphia Eagles in that game that they lost. And they looked really good against the season opener and that season opener against the Philadelphia Eagles the following year where they lost in pretty much the same fashion. Close game, lost at the last minute. That was also the game that really – I think forecast a lot of things to come for the Falcons at that point because Keanu Neal went down in that Philadelphia game and that's where the wheels just fell off. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what, what number are we on? Number five, uh, three. I was going, I was, yeah, I was on three. I was on so three. number. So number three for me um, <clears throat> is having, this is in a, in a general sense of, of, I know it didn't work out for him, but number three was having a vision for what you wanted. He knew what he wanted. Um, he came here with, you know, the mantra of fast and physical. He wanted his guys. He did. He drafted. I mean, he had a vision. And he stuck with it. I mean, like we, we chronicled before, safety corner, safety corner, hybrid linebacker. And he did. He safety cornered linebacker us to death. Um mm-hmm. And uh, but he had a vision of what his defense should look like, and we went for it. And uh, maybe talent wasn't there, maybe a strategy wasn't there, but like having so, like, I feel like with uh, Mike Smith and Thomas Dimitrov, they weren't creative enough to have a vision uh, of what they wanted to look like. I know they had an identity of being a running, a running um, team for a while with Michael Turner as well, but um. He came in with an identity that he wanted to establish, and he did um, to his demise as well. But, I mean, having a vision would be a number three uh, perspective for, or number three positive thing for me. You're right, and that I do respect the vision. However, that's all just as much the reason why the Falcons were so bad on defense because, you know, where Dan Quinn went corner safety, linebacker, Defensive line was never really addressed. Um, there were some holes in the offensive line that were never addressed, just in general. Yeah. Like, there was just a lot of bad things that came out of that. All right, so number two for Dan Quinn, num- the number two positive, led the Atlanta Falcons to the NFC Championship victory over Green Bay during the 2016 season. That was and that was probably – Go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, and that was probably the best moment of his of his tenure right there. Um, I actually had a different. That's probably my number one reason. I actually skipped my number two. So, oh well, all the drama that comes in, I might go over my number two reason after that. But it's climate. Anyway, yeah, yeah. So that's fine. But yeah, led the. So the number one reason is he led the Atlanta Falcons to the NFC Championship against Green Bay, a game where the Falcons absolutely dominated, and the one game where they really look like a complete team complete on offense complete on defense complete on special teams right all right so my number uh two reason is uh leading uh the path that super bowl run of through the playoffs um jumping up and and playing in big games and dominating the greedy packers at home last game in the georgia dome and taking the team to the falcon uh taking the team to the super bowl even though they lost the game uh I, we were – my son had medical problems that year. He was a year old, and we were in um, 
Children's Hospital of Atlanta uh, several times during that year. And uh, just the buzz around that city. And even during the Super Bowl, um, the day of the Super Bowl, we got discharged for his surgery. He had his major, first major surgery um, that day or that week. And we got discharged that Sunday. And we came home and slept in our own bed for the first time in a long time. But uh, the buzz around, I mean, I was talking to nurses and orderlies and people in the parking lot, red and black everywhere. Just the morale for the city was really cool. I mean, you saw 85 down for the buses traveling they had airport and all that stuff so like just the buzz around the city was a cool vibe man and um uh super bowl would be the highlight of his taking the team to super bowl the green bay packers game if you want to highlight it there but that would be my number two reason there is is winning that green bay game it's going to the super bowl okay so uh my number two reason <laughs> Uh, yeah. over number one already. I screwed yeah. that one up. Is bringing Kyle Shanahan to Atlanta. This is probably going to be more of a controversial one because yeah, I think I say so. when you when you go back and you look at Kyle Shanahan, the only thing that people remember is that he ended up losing the Super Bowl game because of some play calling issues in the Super Bowl. But and, and I have to admit, when he hired Kyle Shanahan, I was not that happy with that hire either. I thought that Kyle Shanahan was a daddy's boy. Uh, you know, he got his job because of Mike Shanahan, and he was just a cancer when he was with the, with the Washington Redskins. So when Dan Quinn was like, let's have Mike Shanahan come in here – not yeah. Mike, Kyle Shanahan come in here and be yeah. our offensive coordinator, I was just like, what is he doing? And so the first year kind of was what I thought it was going to be. Like, this isn't really working too well. But then the next year, you know, you, you thought, well, the Falcons are scoring points here, but we lost to Tampa Bay in the opener. But then all of a sudden the offense came alive. And, yeah. And – you know, it, it got Kyle Shanahan to a point where he was able to be an NFL head coach. So I would say that that was the number two best thing that happened for Dan Quinn in his tenure as head coach of Atlanta. Controversial or not, if you don't like the the uh, decision to put that there, please let me know. But I'm always about differing opinions. I, I like that. But um, I, I think Kyle Shanahan, I think it was a good choice for Atlanta. Best yeah. one year that any assistant coach has ever had in Atlanta, ever. Yeah. And so, uh, my number one reason, uh, best thing to happen, uh, and it's it's kind of a reach to – I probably should have put this somewhere down there. Um, <laughs> finding out what you don't want to have happen to your head coach. I mean, knowing when to – you let him go too long. I think the uh, – we now know, Arthur Blank knows, because – you know, uh, Mike Smith got a certain amount of time. Dan Quinn got a certain amount of time, like six years. And so, like, having to know how to be patient and how to know to when to to cut bait. And um, I think that's a, that's a terrible way. But I kind of blended my Super Bowl and Green Bay Packers game the, all together as one, so I just needed a fifth one. But finding out what you don't want uh, was is valuable and – Moving forward, uh, hopefully they'll pick a guy that they want and know not to go too long with him. I don't know. That's a – I don't know. So. Right. Inevitably, unless you're winning Super Bowls and you decide to go out on your own terms, you are probably going to eventually fire as an NFL head coach. That's the one that's inevitable in the NFL. That's and how Dan it goes. Quinn, yeah, he got to that point. And, um, and he I, was not able to go out. And so – and he did a lot of so, – and so uh, – the best thing too, he was a lot. He was a part of a loss. 
finding out what you don't want is kind of a, a dark number one. A number another number one would be the social change that he helped with uh, just a lot of the uh, the tragic death of George Floyd and getting out to the community, really uh, leading his guys and helping with with all of that and being in the community too. And he did a lot for the community as well. And in his, I mean, he wrote a farewell letter. That's a, a positive to to the fans and to the players. And um, he felt like he was home. He tried to, he was a part of the fabric of the city. There's, there's a lot of positives there just as an interpersonal relationship. So that would probably be number one for me. I, I janked that up, but yeah, that's, uh, those are five positives and five up and five down for, Dan Quinn, and we probably could do this again for uh, Thomas Dimitrov, honestly. And we have lots to talk about with that. Yeah, Tuesday night. And he's got Tuesday a longer night. tenure. Yeah, he had a longer tenure with the Atlanta Falcons than Dan Quinn did. So he went through two different coaching regimes. And I can think of many good things that Thomas Dimitrov did. I could probably not reach quite as much on him, but I can think of some just awful things that he did as general manager, too. And that's just not um, something I, I didn't want him in Atlanta anymore because of those awful things that he did. Both show. So those are the positive things. Dan Quinn took us to the Super Bowl. He did that. You can't take that away. He beat Green Bay in 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 the last game of the Georgia Dome. You can't take that away. Uh, he's a great man. He helped uh, with social change and helped in the community. Uh, won the press conferences and just enjoyable interview as a head coach. Listen to the radio. Listen to all the podcasts and all that stuff that he was on. Very gracious with his time. So there's a lot of positive that happened with Dan Quinn, but X's lows on the field was tough to get past. Um, tough to get past some of his inequities and some inconsistencies there. So, Todd, you got anything else for the people tonight? Well, uh, let's root the Falcons on, or not root them on if you're wanting a top draft choice. <laughs> Up to you. I root guess root them on. Yeah. All right. Well, hang on, Falcons fans. Uh, it's gonna be a long. It's gonna be a long season. We're gonna see how Raheem Morris responds to being a head coach for the first time. Well, not the first time, but being uh, first time. time first time head coach for the Falcons. Um, see if he can't get the ship turned around. Um, we'll see what he looks like. How he communicates with his team. Maybe clock manager will be better. Um, there's a lot to look forward to. Um, yeah, let's go Falcons. And so, if you like what you heard tonight, go ahead and follow us on. Uh, Twitter, like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Rise Up Radar is the show name. We bring them to you every every Wednesday morning and every Tuesday morning, or no, every Wednesday morning and every Friday morning. They'll be available to you by probably about midnight. So set your clock, get the notification bell, do what you got to do. And until next time, fellas, rise up.